Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. It is so good to be here at Wachita Hills this Sabbath weekend. And we had a good drive over from Lawrenceburg, Tennessee this afternoon. Well, this morning and this afternoon. And my wife and two girls are here, but it's bedtime for them, so they're not here tonight. So you will see them in the morning. But this is Joelle's alma mater for Academy, so she's excited to come back and... I've been here a few times, and it's good to be back. So thank you for the invitation to be here. And before we get into our presentation, I would just like to offer a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for bringing us into the holy Sabbath hours. And I just pray that you would be with us this weekend as we Reflect again on the gift of the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy to your remnant church. I pray that these presentations would be a blessing to all of us and that they would strengthen our faith in the message that you have given to us for this time of earth's history. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And for those of you who don't know me. Again, my name is Norman McNulty, and I'm married to Joelle Domsteek. And um, again, she, was, she graduated from here in 2002. I never went through here. I went through um, Highland Academy in Tennessee, and then Southern, and then Loma Linda. And I currently practice as a neurologist over in Tennessee. But I certainly have a deep love for the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And what we're going to be doing this week, and we're going to be doing a four-part series on the spirit of prophecy, and I'll, I'll give you a bit of a preview for where we're headed this weekend right now. So tonight, I'm going to give my personal testimony on how the spirit of prophecy affected my life from a very early age, and then I'll have a few other stories that will connect to that. Tomorrow, we are going to look at the biblical framework for the role of the testimony of Jesus in the remnant church and the role that the testimony of Jesus has with respect to the great controversy that is going on as the universe is watching. So you'll certainly want to be here for church tomorrow. In the afternoon, we're going to have two presentations. The first one is going to be dealing with how we can use the writings of Ellen White, what's the role of her writings in the church, how inspired was Ellen White, what kind of a lie is she to us as a people. And then the last presentation is going to be dealing with common objections that certain critics have used against Ellen White. Certainly we don't have time to go through every single issue, but we can at least deal with some of the principles. And hopefully that will give you at least the foundation or framework to go back and study further. So that's where we're headed this weekend. So I'm going to go ahead and get into our message now for this evening. And I want to share with you my personal testimony with respect to Ellen White. And I started reading the writings of Ellen White when I was nine years old. And without a doubt, and I say this unashamedly, I do not apologize for this, without a doubt, in addition to the Bible, the writings of Ellen White, which I believe to be the testimony of Jesus, and I'll get into that tomorrow further, her writings, Jesus speaking through her writings to me, 
are the reason why I'm here tonight. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the influence of her writings in my life. And I know that going through school all the way from grade one through the end of fellowship training after residency in Adventist institutions. I, I am a product of the Adventist system. It, you couldn't be more of a product of the Adventist system than me. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm just saying I went to elementary school at an Adventist school. I went to academy. I went to college. I went to medical school, residency and fellowship training, all in Adventist institutions. And I can certainly tell you that in my time, in all those years, I haven't even counted all the years that would be, I guess it would be 20, um, 24 years, 25 years, many times there were Adventists who were Adventists, but they didn't believe in the writings of Ellen White. And the place that they ended up in life was never a place that really led them to happiness, I can tell you that. And even at the er in the earliest years of my life, when I started reading Ellen White, when I was nine years old, I had classmates who made negative remarks about her based on what their parents had told them. And I have to say that I am so grateful for the parents that God blessed me with. And you may not have, you know, all of us have a different testimony, so I'm not here to put my parents up above anybody else's parents. But all of us have parents who have strengths and weaknesses, but certainly one of the strengths that my parents, both of them, my father and my mother had, was a strong belief in the writings of Ellen White as the testimony of Jesus being the spirit of prophecy. And they encouraged me at a very early age to, to read her for myself. And the way it actually started, I was in third grade at school, and my teacher decided to have a I don't know what you want to call it. I don't necessarily call it a competition, but a project where we would all read books and whoever read the most books would get a prize, which was going to the ABC to buy a book of your choosing. Well, <laughs> when you're nine years old, that's pretty good. Well, a lot of, there was a lot of different books in the library. The book that I chose to read was Patriarchs and Prophets. And I got through that book by the end of that project. And admittedly, I didn't gain every spiritual insight that I could have gained. But at, the, at that time of my life, I immediately began to see as I read through that book that there was deep spiritual value to, to the content that was in that book. And once I finished Patriarchs and Prophets at the age of nine, I decided that I was not yet done with her writings. So I continued to read, and by two years later, it took me two years, I read through all five volumes of the Conflict of the Ages series, so that by the time I was 11 years old, I had read through The Great Controversy. <clears throat> so when I would hear people say Ellen White is, was for her time, her writings don't, really, they're not as relevant for us today as they were when she wrote them back then, I would always chuckle to myself saying, these people even ha haven't even read the writings for, her for themselves to know whether or not what they're saying is really true. Because I knew 
from my own testimony, from my experience, that God was speaking to me, to my heart, and to my conscience through the books that I was reading. And as I progressed through the elementary school years into my academy years, um, one of my academy teachers one day, it was very, uh, an experience I'll never forget. It was my sophomore year of academy, and the name of the teacher and the name of the school will remain unnamed for now. <laughs> Although for those of you who know me, I guess know what I'm, would know where this happened. But my um, sophomore Bible teacher <clears throat> passed out a handout with a bunch of quotes from the spirit of prophecy. And I started looking at a lot of the quotes on that page. Now, he had, they were a lot of one-liners just one line from here and there. They were full sentences. At least they weren't a half sentence with ellipses. I've seen people do that to try to make her look bad. But anyway, they were full sentences. And the very first sentence at the top of the page was, and I, don't, I couldn't tell you where it was from because this was, what year would have this been? I guess 1993, something like that. And so that's 22 years ago. I don't remember 22, 23 years ago. I don't remember exactly where the quote was found, but I do remember what the quote said. And the quote said, God requires perfection of his children. Now, I was at a point in my life where I had heard various debates about the concept of perfection, and I'm not going to get off onto that whole theological issue right now, but I had read enough of Ellen White at that point in my life to say, you know what, God is speaking through her when she writes. And when I read that statement, I was at a point in my life where I had heard a lot of people questioning the possibility of whether or not God could perfect his people. And when I read that one-liner, and I was, you know, 15 years old, maybe 15 or 16, I was like, wow, that answers the question. That's immediately what I thought in my mind. The teacher asked the question like this, does God really require perfection of his children? And everybody else in the room was like, of course not. All of my classmates were shaking their head now. And I just was sitting there quietly. And I was disappointed and surprised that the teacher was deciding to try to undermine the credibility of Ellen White. Well, interestingly, shortly after we read that statement, a number of statements were being made. There were classmates who were saying, yeah, her writings were for her time, not for our time, and they were going on with the usual type of statements. And so the teacher asked the question, how many of you believe everything that Ellen White has ever said? Raise your hand. And I raised my hand. And I was the only one. And the room got silent. And it was interesting, I look back on that experience, not that I'm anything special, but when I raised my hand, that totally took the wind out of the sails of that teacher. Because he was basically there to <clears throat> say negative things about LMI that we can't really trust what she's saying. And that's kind of discouraging considering that it was an Adventist school. I don't think he taught Bible there after that year, thankfully. Um, and sadly, my understanding is, is that he um, 
may not be practicing as an Adventist anymore. But I did have classmates come up to me afterwards, not even that day, but in the years that came as we went through school and said, you know, we really respect you for being willing to stand up for what you believe. Sadly, I think all of my classmates who didn't raise their hands, none of them had read her writings other than class assignments where you read a chapter or a paragraph so that you can write an essay for your Bible class. But it was just assignment-based. It wasn't something that had become real or personal for themselves. So that was my academy years. And then I entered into my college years. And I'll remember, now, you know, some of you are in academy, so you might be able to relate to what I shared with you. Maybe you're at a place in your life where some of the friends that you have that you interact with are questioning the validity of Ellen White, and maybe that's where you are in your mind right now. I would encourage you, if you have questions, read her for yourself. Don't go on the words of others. Then I entered into the college years, and I know there's many of you here in college tonight as well. And up until this point in my life, I had really not been exposed to those who questioned in a really serious way. I mean, what my sophomore Bible teacher tried to do was really um, what I would call minor league material. But um, when I got to college, and this was on my own, this was, I had some very good Bible teachers at Southern. Um, I had a really good course on last day events, a good class on the book of Revelation. So some very good experiences in my religion classes, but you may, for those of you who are older, I think those of you who are in college or academy wouldn't know what I'm talking about, but there was a meeting years ago in 1998 called Net 98. It doesn't seem that long ago to me, but for those of you college or younger may not remember that. But Dwight Nelson, who's the main um, pastor at Andrews, he was the speaker for Net 98. Well, some disillusioned former Adventist took the website, there was the website net98.org, and this disillusioned former Adventist created a website net-98.org. And the Southern Accent newspaper wrote an article about it, and so I went and foolishly, I suppose, checked out the website without really having an idea of what I was getting myself into. Um, I think of the verse of, uh, that comes to mind, Romans 16, verse 17, which says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. You know, there is something to be said from a biblical standpoint for avoiding those who stir up dissension and seek to create doubt. That's a biblical concept. You don't have to go hear someone who's teaching heresy. That's not your duty. In fact, Ellen White says in page 124 of early writings that the Lord is not pleased when we go to hear error when we have no obligation to do so. So if you go to hear error, you're placing yourselves on the devil's ground unless you have a specific reason to be there. And in later years, I have had to go hear speakers um, for um, quality control purposes. I, that hasn't happened that often, but 
sometimes you have to do it, but it's only if you have a good reason to be there. But if you're just going to hear like, huh, maybe this brother does have some lie. I'll go hear what they're saying about doctrine such and such. No, be careful. And I say that because when I went to this website, I saw all these things about charges about Ellen White and how she had copied this and hadn't cited it and made weird claims about amalgamation. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Those issues are going to be issues that we talk about, but I had never really taken the time to look into it myself, and thankfully um, it didn't shake me to no longer believe in her writings, but it did expose me to the reality that there were those out there who basically tried to say that she's a liar. I think the thing I remember the most from the person on that website was that they said of Ellen White that she was a deluded false prophet whose god was Satan. I mean, that's pretty extreme. But, um, and that tells you the spirit behind the person who was running the website. But, but that just kind of gives you a bit of a snapshot through elementary school, academy, and college of some of the challenges that I faced. But by the time I left college and went out to Loma Linda, I was certainly um, grounded in my belief in the writings of LMY. And I kind of had a revival experience during my first year of medical school. And at that point, I set out to read through the conflict series again. I think I read through Great Controversy in two weeks, and then I started reading through all the testimonies again, which I think I had finished in Academy. And that was um, where, basically where I was at. And ever since that time, I made it a goal to try to read through all of the published writings of Ellen White. And when I was in Trinidad as a missionary, I think I finished my goal of finishing the 21-volume manuscript released series. And there's, as far as I, you know, I may be wrong, but as far as I know, I think I have finished all of her published writings. Now, that doesn't make me, you know, better than anybody else, because at the end of the day, God speaks. Jesus speaks through those writings. And the question then is, what do we do with the counsel that God has given to us through those writings, because you can read, I mean, you can, you can just read through something to, for a goal to say, well, I read it, but the question is, what did it do to your heart? What did it do for your life? Are you closer to God? Do you have a, a closer walk with Jesus as a result of reading her writings, as a result of reading the Bible? And I, I'll tell you that if you are open to the moving of the Holy Spirit, if you read Steps to Christ, Desire of Ages, and all of her other books, and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you, I can guarantee you that you are going to have a closer walk with God when you read those books. I can guarantee it. And when you have that experience, you will know that when people come along and say various things about the writings of Ellen White, you will know for yourself that what they're saying isn't true. So just to summarize my own personal story as I get into a few other points now, I just want to praise the Lord for the role of my parents in my life for encouraging me to read those books at a very early age. And once I started reading them, my dad, because you know, I'm nine years old, and those books, especially for a nine-year-old, were pretty expensive. Um, my dad bought me the whole conflict series, bought me the whole testimony series. He was willing to invest money. I still remember him saying, well, I'd rather spend money for this than for any other number of things that most kids your age would want 
their parents to buy for them. So for those of you parents that are out there who are wondering when you might encourage your children to start reading the books, I would encourage you as soon as they're ready for some, you know, I wouldn't say like some of the more advanced books, but things like Steps to Christ, Desire of Ages, Conflict Series, as soon as they're ready to read those books, make the effort, the investment to, to get the books for them and to have them read them. Because for me, I know what it did for me. And I'll never regret um, investing personally in the time and, and reading her books. So, and ever since then, I have been a defender of Ellen White because of, of how God has spoken through her to me. Um, I've always made sure that wherever I am in whatever situation that I am, to defend the proper use of Ellen White in God's church. There's a proper use. Certainly people can misuse her, but you know what? People misuse the Bible as well. I hear people say, well, I've been beaten over the head with Ellen White, so I don't want to hear it. It's like, well, if you were beaten over the head with the Bible, are you going to throw the Bible out as well? And what are you going to have then? So just because you, and some of you may have felt like you've been beaten over the head, but that doesn't mean that you throw everything out. That means that you just have your own experience with it. I want to read to you. A very fascinating story. This story occurs or begins in 1851, October of 1851, and the story basically goes till 1884. This is the story of an early Advent pioneer named Stephen Smith. Those of you who have studied Adventist history may be familiar with the story. For some of you, I suspect that those of you may be in academy or even college, this may be a story that you've never heard before, but there is much that every one of us can learn from this story. In late, and I'm getting this from um, the book, um, The Spirit of Prophecy, Emphasis Stories, volume two, pages 168 to 170, and it was also used for um, the children's story for Spirit of Prophecy, Sabbath, October 18, 2003. In late October of 1851, 75 Advent believers, some even from out of state, crowded into the Washington, New Hampshire church. Now, those of you who know Adventist history know that the Washington, New Hampshire church is the very first Seventh-day Adventist church, and some of you may have even been there. It's a popular place to visit if you're on an Adventist heritage tour, and it's a beautiful place. It had only been seven years since the great 1844 disappointment. And those who had not lost faith in Jesus' coming now set about to firmly establish the church. Some who had been deeply upset by the disappointment criticized the leaders, especially James and Ellen White. So the criticism of Ellen White goes back a long way. Among them, among those who were criticizing Ellen White, was Brother Stephen Smith. He spoke as history recounts with a poisonous tongue and did not hesitate to cut down the leaders with savage criticisms. Now I might add for those of you adults in this room, for those of you who are children, who have children, excuse me, be careful what you say about God's church around your children. You may think that you can say things and because you know what's going on, 
you'll be all right, but you don't think about the effect of the words that you say on your children. So be careful. And Brother Smith was famous for a poisonous tongue. He was famous for having savage criticisms. During this 1851 meeting, Ellen White, who was there with her husband, received a vision showing the spiritual state of the Washington church members. She told her vision during the next meeting, and all those present received it as a message from heaven and resolved to listen to its counsel. That is, all except two individuals welcomed the message. One of these who did not welcome the message was Stephen Smith. He opposed the testimony so bitterly that the church group finally dismissed him from their fellowship. Now, that's pretty bad if your spirit is so bad that the church dismisses you from their fellowship. In fact, Ellen White said, this is a manuscript releases, volume 3, page 244, Brother Stephen Smith was filled with a wrong spirit. So it was so bad that she actually made note of it in one of her testimonies. But, he, but Stephen Smith, so he gets thrown out of the church, but he's like, I don't want that. He really wanted to belong to the church. That's where his friends were. That's where his fellowship was. So the next year, he was received back into fellowship after he had an apparent change of heart and made a deep confession. Unfortunately, it didn't last long. He joined any opposing movement that came along and agreed with every new attempt to set a date for Christ's coming. All his strength was used to help the enemies of the infant Adventist church. Now, if you understand the history of the early Adventist church, after the Great Disappointment, the Seventh-day Adventist movement, which eventually organized in 1863, they came to the understanding that Jesus entered into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary on October 22, 1844, and they no longer set dates for the soon coming of Jesus. Yet the, there was another movement, and a lot of this was within the Advent Christian Church, who retained Sunday keeping, among other things, and rejected the sanctuary message. They continued to set dates, simply thinking that they had gotten the date wrong for the end of the 2300 days. Stephen Smith seemed to be trying to play both sides here. And he was opposing Ellen White's testimony very bitterly. And it's a sad story to say that all of his strength was used to help the enemies of the infant Adventist church. You know, if you think about it, it's, it's a sad story when you think that there are a number of people, and I think a lot of you can look back on your own experience. You may even know people who their existence seems to be based on the fact that they are simply there to attack Adventism. Now, if your purpose in life is simply to try to tear something down, I mean, seriously, what's your purpose in life? How much happiness is that really going to be, bring you? Are you really happy when you're tearing something down all the time? I mean, really. Why would you want to live your life always tearing something down? I don't like these rules. I don't like that teacher. I don't like that food. This, that, and the other. And you're always complaining, murmuring. This is bad. That is bad. I can't stand this. I can't wait to leave. Whatever the case may be, you know you've been around people, and maybe you're that person. 
And you want to live your whole life trying to tear something down when right in your midst, and in Stephen Smith's case, he was in the midst of God's prophet, and she is the messenger of the Lord giving the testimony of Jesus, and here he is at every step that, that she's taking. He's there to oppose her, to try to tear down not just her, but the Adventist movement. Now, how much joy and happiness is that going to bring you if you really live your life that way? You're not going to be a happy person. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> and if you think about it, you think about, you know, there, there's groups out there. There's like groups called the Former Adventist Fellowship. They almost know that they need to form a support group because they know they've left something significant. I mean, I don't hear a former Baptist fellowship or former Catholic fellowship or former Methodist fellowship. Those groups aren't out there, friends. But there's former Adventist fellowship, and then those people become bitter enemies of Adventism, and they try to come up with all of these attacks. I mean, how many former Baptists are creating attack websites against the Southern Baptist Convention? I don't know of those. That tells you of what we have as Seventh-day Adventists. I mean, why would people be taking time to attack us if we didn't have something of value? So just think about that. All of Stephen Smith's strength was used to help the enemies of the infant Adventist church. But you know what? God loved Stephen Smith. And he used Ellen White to encourage Stephen Smith to turn from his waywardness. With prayer and painstaking patience, Ellen White wrote out a vision that God sent to her regarding Stephen Smith, and she wrote it out at her home in Battle Creek, Michigan, and she mailed the letter to Brother Smith. The following week, Smith went to the post office to pick up his mail. He received a long, thick letter with Mrs. White's name and address in the upper left-hand corner. Hot blood rushed to his face. Now think about it. If you are opposing someone at every turn and you get a letter from them in the mail and not only is it just someone that you're opposing but this is someone who claims to have the prophetic gift you can only imagine what you think is with inside the contents of that envelope right be careful who you fight against certainly brother smith should have kept that in mind hot blood rushed to his face and you know, he's telling in his own words what he, how he reacted. He says, so she has written me a testimony now. And he said, as he saw that testimony, I am not going to read it. It reminds you of the king of Israel who took the counsel that Jeremiah wrote and threw it into the fire. Thankfully, Brother Smith did not throw this letter into the fire or even throw it away. When he got home, he didn't throw it away, he didn't throw it into the fire, he didn't rip it up into a thousand pieces. Instead, he noticed a heavy trunk, a storage trunk, in one corner of his house, and he opened the trunk, and he put that letter at the bottom of the trunk, and it wasn't too long after that he totally forgot about the testimony that Ellen White had written to him and had taken the time to mail to him. And years went by. People who knew him said that he had the most withering 
blighting, blistering tongue of any man in the neighborhood. The whites weren't the only ones to receive Stephen Smith's criticisms. His wife and children were often the objects of his sharp, cutting remarks. Now, remember, this testimony was written sometime shortly after 1851. They, they believe it was written around 1857. Here he has just this awful attitude. And, and, and think about this. How do you want people to remember you? You may be a student here or a staff member here, whatever your, your position may be. What are people going to remember you by? That man or that woman, they had the sweetest spirit. Or, or is it going to be, boy, they had the worst attitude of anybody I went to school with in the four years I was here. What do you want to be remembered by? Do you want to be remembered as having Stephen Smith's attitude, bad attitude, bad tongue, cutting everyone down everywhere you go? Or, or will you be remembered for someone who has a, a sweet spirit? And for those of you who are married and who have children, you know, you can kind of put on a front when you come to church. I suppose it's a little bit harder in the fishbowl of a self-supporting institution where you're around people all the time. But even then, your family really knows the real you. And what are they going to say about you? Your, your husband or your wife, what do they say about your spirit? Anyway, the, the following years, which should have been the best and happiest of his life, were full of anger and unhappiness. 27 years passed. It was 1884. He had received this testimony 27 years earlier, so that would be 1857. His hair had turned white. Lines of bitterness seamed his face. His back had bent with the years. One day, Stephen Smith picked up from his own parlor table a copy of the Review and Herald. His wife had remained an Adventist, and she had taught the children to be faithful. Praise God for faithful mothers and wives. It was she who had continued to, to subscribe to the Review. As he opened the paper, Stephen's eyes fell on an article by Ellen White. Quickly he read it. Thoughtfully he laid it down. That's the truth, he admitted to himself. That's the truth. The next week's review brought another Ellen White article. Again he read it, and again he had to admit, that is God's truth. From then on, he watched for Mrs. White's articles weekly and read them. His wife and children began to notice a change coming over him. His words were softer, his comments less sarcastic. He began to wish that he could see James and Ellen White again, but James had been dead for four years, and Ellen now lived in Michigan. The next summer, 1885, Eugene Farnsworth returned to his hometown of Washington, New Hampshire, to hold revival meetings. And Eugene Farnsworth was one of the early Advent pioneers and a great Advent, Adventist preacher. News of the coming revival reached Stephen Smith by then living in Unity, 12 miles north. He remembered Eugene and wanted to hear him speak, so the old man journey, journeyed south on Sabbath morning to hear Elder Farnsworth preach. The sermon topic that morning was the Seventh-day Adventist movement. And friends, let me tell you something. We are still part of that movement today. And the signs are all around us that Jesus is coming soon and we are part of a movement that God has raised up to prepare a people for the coming of Jesus. 
Just as Elder Farnsworth finished speaking, old Stephen Smith struggled to his feet and signaled a desire to speak. Eugene hesitated, and who could blame him? I mean, the guy with a withering tongue, just nothing good to say, always trying to tear down the church. Eugene wasn't sure he wanted to allow this bitter, critical man to spoil the church service. Stephen spoke up, don't be afraid of me, brother, and he said, I haven't come to criticize. I've quit that business. I've been with many opposition groups over the years, and I see now that they have come to nothing. No honest man can help saying that God is with the Advent movement and against us who have opposed it. I want to be in fellowship with his people in heart and in the church. And, you know, you think about everyone, any, uh, any, all of us here can think of any number of people who used to fellowship with us as Seventh-day Adventists, and you look at where they are now, and none of the movements that they may have gone after or whatever in the world they may have gone to, none of that brings peace, joy, and happiness like what we have when we have the truth as it is in Jesus, friends. Don't ever walk away from what you have today. Don't ever walk away from what you have. Don't be like Stephen Smith. When Stephen Smith returned home, he began to think over his past life. On Thursday of that week, he remembered the letter at the bottom of the trunk. For the first time in 28 years, he wanted to know what was in that letter. Now, here he is now. He's a converted man. He believes in the truth. He's accepting the truth. He's fellowshipping again with the Adventists. He's acknowledging that what Ellen White is writing is the truth. And now he remembers, she sent me a letter 28 years ago. It took a while to find the key. But when he unlocked the trunk, he reached clear to the bottom and felt around. There it was, the yellowed envelope, still sealed just as he had left it. Opening it, he slipped out the folded sheets and sat down to read. In the letter, he found an exact and accurate picture, an exact and accurate picture of what his life had been for the past 28 years. For he had not changed his ways, nor had he returned to God. With terrible regret, he realized how different his life might have been had he read and accepted that testimony earlier. Here he was reading a play-by-play of his life. And if he had opened that letter and had accepted it 28 years earlier how different his life might have been. The following Sabbath, Stephen Smith again returned to Washington, New Hampshire for church. As soon as the sermon had ended, he rose to his feet to tell Elder Farnsworth and the congregation about the sealed letter. Every word of that testimony is true, he declared. I know now that all the testimonies from Ellen White are true. If I had followed the testimony she sent to me, my whole life would have been different. It would have saved me a world of trouble. Instead, I dismissed her writings as old women's visions. I'm too old now to undo what I've done, too feeble to get to our large meetings. But I want you to tell our people everywhere that another rebel has surrendered. Stephen Smith did not live many years after that. But until he died, he believed in the Advent message. Friends, I've been around long enough to know that there's probably at least one or two rebels here in this room tonight. And some of you know 
that God is speaking through his messenger to his last day church. God has brought you here to this school. You may, it may be a student in the academy or in the college. You may even be a faculty member. And there's something in your life that you're still a rebel about. And the Lord has spoken through Sister White to the very issue that you're being a rebel about. And you're struggling with it. And you're rationalizing with it. And you're making up all of these excuses. Well, nobody else does it like that. Why do I have to do it like that? How come I have to dress like this or eat like this or whatever it may be? And God in his love has spoken through his prophet. Because he knows that when we follow his counsel, we will always be happiest. And we don't have to be like Stephen Smith. You know, thankfully, he came back after 28 years. And he started reading her testimonies, and then he finally read the testimony that God had sent to him. Some of you, most of you here tonight, have your whole life ahead of you. You are so blessed to be at a school like this that upholds the, the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and the teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You are so blessed. And I say that as someone who never had the privilege of attending a school like this. I went through a system where I made many good contacts and many good friends, but it wasn't like it is here. And you are very blessed. But just because you have all of these blessings around you, Stephen Smith was an early Advent believer. He had seen the power of God work through that movement, and he was in the midst of God's prophet for the last days. He saw her in the flesh. And, you know, some of us would say, well, if Ellen White were alive and if she could just sit down and tell me this is what you needed to do, then I would believe her. Listen, friends, there were people who were in her midst who fought her at every step, like Stephen Smith, and who wouldn't believe. The Jews who were in the presence of Jesus, they wouldn't believe. What makes you think you would be any different if you don't accept what the Bible and the spirit of prophecy say in plain English? You would see the person, you would see Jesus in person or Ellen White in person and say, they're so imbalanced, extreme. If you're not willing to accept as written the words of Jesus in Scripture, what he says through his testimony and the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy. And I, as I close this meeting this evening, I again just make this appeal to you. Don't be like Stephen Smith and take those testimonies and put them at the bottom of your trunk. Yeah, as the saying goes, for many Seventh-day Adventists, the red books are really the unread books. There have been generations now of Seventh-day Adventists just like Stephen Smith.
who have buried the testimonies at the bottom of the trunk and they choose not to read the counsel and the instruction that if we would simply take the time to read it, we would find the instruction that we need just for this time. And friends, when we look at what's happening in the world around us, when we see what happened prophetically just this last fall when the Pope came to America and we see how Protestant America and Catholic Europe and the Vatican are coming together, just as the Bible has said in symbolic language and as Ellen White says in plain English in the book Great Controversy, why would you be inclined to disregard her testimony at this time of Earth's history? Now is the time more than ever to give regard to the testimony of Jesus through the writings of Ellen White. And so again, there may be one or two or a few more rebels in this room tonight who haven't been willing to surrender all to Jesus. And as we close this meeting this evening, I would just challenge you. Come to the rest of the, the meetings this weekend with an open mind and an open heart to hear God speaking to you so that when this weekend is over, you will resolve in your heart, you know what, I have been resistant to the testimony of Jesus. I have been resistant to the writings of Ellen White. I haven't wanted to read her. I've just been reading her books because my Bible teachers have been forcing me to do so for my class assignments, but I wish I didn't have to read her. But after this weekend, I am hoping and I am praying that if that has been your attitude, that you're going to say, you know what, I am going to read her in my free time to get the blessing that God has for me. And when I read her, I am going to, I'm going to resolve in my heart to follow the counsel that God places before me in those writings. And let me tell you something, if you make that commitment, and we'll, I'll make an appeal as we get to the end of this week, and if you make that commitment, God will bless you richly in ways that you could never dream. You will end up in places that you never could have imagined if you are simply willing to follow the counsel of Jesus through his testimony, through the writings of LMY. And the last thing I'll say is this school here was built on the same model or vision of Madison College. And one of the things that made Madison College so powerful and why God is blessing this school so much. Sutherland and McGann, the founders of Madison, resolved at the outset of founding Madison that they would follow everything in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. They wouldn't rationalize it away and say, well, that doesn't work for our time. That's not culturally sensitive, whatever the case may be. And because of their commitment and their faithfulness, we are here today with an institution like this, with leaders here who are following with that same vision. And those of you who are young, who adopt that vision in your life, rather than following the Stephen Smith approach, if you adopt the vision of a Sutherland and McGann, God will use you, not for your glory, but for his, to do great things for him. So I challenge you that you would be not a Stephen Smith who comes back at the end of the life, and unfortunately many never come back, but rather than having a deathbed conversion, be like a Sutherland and a McGann and make a difference for your entire life. Amen. Why don't we kneel as far as possible for closing prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us, that you love us so much that you have given us the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy.
We thank you that Ellen White was willing to be your messenger and to share messages of truth that sometimes aren't even comfortable to share. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear your spirit speaking to us through the scripture and through her writings and that we would resolve in our hearts that we will always be faithful to the instruction that you've given to us, that we will resolve in our hearts to follow the counsel that you have given us to follow, that in our hearts we will be willing to commit our lives to following whatever you ask us to do. Sometimes it may not be easy, sometimes it may be, but whatever it may be, may we resolve in our hearts to surrender our lives fully and completely to you so that it can be said of us that we have in our lives the spirit of Jesus and the power of God and that our lives are touching others to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. Lord, I pray for each student, for each faculty member, for each family member and friend at this school and, and in, this, in the surrounding community that you will continue to pour out your blessing here and that if there is anyone here this evening that is struggling with their relationship towards you through the writings of Ellen White, through the testimony of Jesus, that they will surrender to you, that they will open up their heart to you on that issue and be willing to let you speak to them through your sweet spirit through those writings. And I just pray that you will be with us through the rest of this week and be with me and give me the words to speak that will touch people's hearts so that you will do a mighty work through each one of us in preparation for the coming of Jesus. Be with us now through the remaining Sabbath hours, and we thank you for the blessing of this week, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.